0: Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares shares a message called, Powerful Praying.
1: The title of this sermon, right, what is that, what I call, Powerful Praying. If you think about prayer and you say, prayer is powerful, and if you define prayer as communication to God, right, if you think it's about the communication itself, as some prosperity gospel people think, you're going to miss the whole point. Because the point isn't that there's something powerful in what you're doing. It's about who you're doing it with. You're, you're speaking to God.
0: Have you encountered someone who seems to have a direct line of communication with God? We call them prayer warriors. But prayer isn't just for some Christians, it's for all of us. So how's your prayer life? Would you call it powerful? Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares challenges Christians to power up their prayer life. I'm Dave Drewy. Open your Bible to James chapter 5, verse 13 and listen to the conclusion of a message titled, Powerful Praying, Needful Lessons for Life's Ups and Downs. And now here's Pastor Mike.
1: Turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, to James chapter 5. Let's start in verse 13, and I want to read for you from the English Standard Version this text of Scripture that really is all about prayer, which I think is obvious from the first word, although we lose it in some of the details of this text. I'll read it for you, starting in verse 13. If anyone among you is suffering, it reads, James 5, 13, let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Well, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Let's start with verse 13 and see what we can find here. If you're suffering, you got to pray. That, I think, is the easiest thing that happens to us when we are suffering. We think, oh, man, if God were here, he could fix it. If God knew, he could fix it. If God were involved, he could fix it. Because when we suffer, it's reflexive, it's natural to respond by saying, I, I need to pray. So that's not so difficult for us in the sense that we, we know that. What, what's difficult is what comes next. And what it's doing is setting up for us what you might call an inclusio, a a set of bookends, something that shows us that no matter where you are in the spectrum between suffering and cheer, right, the, the response is the same. And I know you don't think the response is the same, but let's read the second half of verse 13 again. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So the first point, let me word it this way. To summarize verse 13, which opens up this whole discussion about prayer, It really is showing us the spectrum of experience in life and how I'm supposed to be talking to God. I'm supposed to be communicating with God. I'm supposed to be expressing myself to God, okay? Let me just put it this way. You're not gonna like applaud after this, I'm sure. You're not gonna say, bring the bag back. I'm gonna put more money in the bag because this was amazing. It's very simple. And you can say, this guy went to seminary to teach us this. I, I understand, simple. But I wanna remind you of what we just said. This is what it means, right? Number one, pray all the time. Pray all the time. If, if I don't do that, I'm forgetting the basics of, of the Christian life. It's not hard, by the way, to think about suffering. Most of us, that's when our prayer life ramps up when we're suffering. I could turn you into a prayer warrior, right? I could tell you right now that someone you love the most is in the hospital and on a ventilator, and who knows if they're going to make it. You're going to start praying. You're going to become a prayer warrior, right? But let's just talk about the other side, which expresses whether or not we really are practical atheists or, or we're, we're genuine theists. Go to James chapter 1. This is... Part of what starts the book. Verse 16. James 1:16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down, not just from the sky, from the Father of all that's good, including the, 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 the lights, the, the sun, everything. He's, he's the provider of good. This is symbolic here of the good. God is a good God, Father of lights, with whom there is no variation do, or shadow, do to change. He's not changed. he's in, invariable, he's, he's immutable. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Okay, he not only brought us forth in time, it's not like a, the deist would think, well, he set up procreation and we all got here because we just, it happens and that's just the rules of, of the game. It's that he's actively involved. He's creating every individual person. And then redemption, that's clearly what's in view here. He brings us to, to regeneration. He's actively involved. And you need to know every good thing. If I said, how was your week? You said, it was a great week. Really? Why? Well, here's the 18 things that happened that made it a good week for me, a great week. All of those things, the Bible says, right, God is actively involved in. And so proving my theism, proving that I'm a Christian is expressed through me demonstrating that belief by saying I'm talking to God about all those things. God, you did that. Thank you for that. The real concern of Moses when he brought the people into the promised land, or it was about to, right? He had to hand it off to Joshua to, to bring them in, was that you don't get there and the crops are, 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 are bountiful and your, calves are, your cows are calving and you've got all these great things happening. You sit on your porch and you forget God. Do not forget God because God is the one providing all these things actively for. Not only getting you out of slavery, it's easy for you when you're suffering to call on God, but it's harder when you're prosperous or comfortable or it's just a mediocre week to even think about God. Don't forget God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, right? Pray without ceasing. I'm praying all the time. I'm saying I need to talk to God because God is involved in it all. He's involved in my planning. He's involved in the carrying out of the plans. And then when things don't go that way, God was involved in that. And now I'm going to talk to him about getting, getting out of this or getting it corrected or amended or, or fixed or redirected. I've got to talk to God all the time. Pray all the time. Pray when you're hurting. Pray when you're happy. Be prompted by pain. Be prompted by blessing. Be prompted by mediocre life. Be prompted by boredom. Be prompted by everything to pray. I don't want to be accused of forgetting God because God... If you forget him, you are now living in a non-reality because the reality is God is here, he's present. One day, we're gonna, our faith is gonna be sight. Everybody, every atheist is gonna see the realities of God beyond this life. But right now, though we don't see him, we love him, believe in him, we have this joy that should be there because our constant awareness of what is not tangibly seen. God has stepped into space and time, he has been seen. But the reality is, we gotta engage our our minds in directing thoughts to God all the time. Verse fourteen. Back to our passage now. Chapter five. James five fourteen. You want to talk about suffering? Let's drill down a little bit. We suffer usually when we're sick because it's pain, and we don't like pain, and pain gets our attention, and we start saying, "I don't want this pain in my life. I'd like it to go away." Is anyone among you sick? Well, we've already know in verse thirteen. You ought to be praying. So you ought to pray when you're suffering. But now it says, "Listen." Maybe it's a chronic thing, maybe it continues on, maybe it's severe, maybe it's big. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Comma, get to the rest of that sentence in a minute. But now I'm saying you should get more people to pray. Paul said that in 2 Corinthians 1. I didn't want you to be unaware of what I was going through because I needed to be helped by your prayers. I needed you to pray. So broaden the circle of prayer. Don't be a hermit, don't be a monk, don't sit in the corner not tell anybody. Get people involved and pray. And if you're thinking, I got a real bad problem, well, then you should tell the elders of the church and they should be praying over you. Well, and that happens. You go to our website and go to the place that's got a tag and maybe at the bottom now because we got a little weird stuff on the tech, but click on that prayer request, need a prayer. It goes to all of our pastors, goes to our prayer team and we pray for you. Every week, go through the prayer list, pray for you. I pray for the people who say, I'm sick, I, I need prayer. And as an elder, as a pastor, I do that. And, and you, ought to, you ought to let us know. Got a chronic problem, big problem. Right? not for every migraine or hangnail, but you ought to be asking for, for prayer. Why? Because that's what this passage is about. It's about prayer. It's about prayer going from an a, a individual life to more and more people. You ought to be praying. You ought to be praying with people. You got to be praying for people. And then it says, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Anointing him with oil in the name. If I say anointing someone with oil, what are you thinking of? If you think biblically, you think about like Samuel pulling out a flask of oil and pouring it over the head of David, a young shepherd boy. You think about uh, a, a flask of oil being poured over the head in the book of Leviticus of the priest who's been consecrated for service. This was a symbolic gesture of pouring oil, and the word pour is simply the word anoint, with oil, and oil, there's a particular kind of oil that was used in the ceremonies of the Old Testament to inaugurate the office of a prophet, priest, or king. Probably what you'd think. But you probably don't think that when you read the story of the Good Samaritan where the Good Samaritan gets mugged on the road to Jericho and not the Samaritan doesn't, but the Jew does. The Good Samaritan comes alongside the Israelite and says, listen, those guys are gonna pass by you. I'm gonna care for you. And what does he do? He takes his wounds wounds, and he anoints those wounds with oil. He pours oil on the wounds and then he bandages up the wounds, takes him on the beast that he has on his animal, takes him to the end and pays for his, his, his entry fee into, the, into convalesce. Um, you're not thinking of that when you talk about him having the oil poured on him, administering the oil. Oil, as I like to say, uh, is, is like bacteen when I was a kid, right? And my parents will object to this, but if was like the solve all for everything, get a cut, back teen, hangnail, back teen, right? Uh, wart, bacteen, uh, toothache bacteen. But bacteen was like, you just put bacteen on it, and, and that's that's what you do. Um, that's how I remember it. It's hard when your parents go to the church and hear your illustrations. <laughs> But that, right, simplified view of my, you know, my, my wonder years, memory of my childhood, it, it, it is akin to what happened in the ancient world when, when oil was the number one medicinal use to fix people's wounds, right? It was the salve. It was the basis for everything they, they'd used medicinally. Not everything, but a lot of things, right? Uh, wine was another one. When, when Timothy had stomach problems, right? He didn't say, go find some Pepto or find some Tums. He says, go, right, take a little wine for your stomach. Because the pastor, like the pastors here, we say no to alcoholic beverages because, you know, the danger there and the stigma and all the rest. And Timothy with the pastor did the same thing. But he said, listen, you got stomach problems. You got to take a little bit for your stomach. So the reality of it all, if you think about that, is that you're going to use the basic things on the medicinal shelf that you have on the, on the shelf to, to deal with people. But you're supposed to do it in the name of the Lord. Now you're thinking, well, the elders are called to do this to people. Remember this, much like on the mission field today. And I've been on the mission field. I was there. I remember one scene where a guy was using an ax. He had the ax hit his leg and big gashing wound. And where does he go? He goes to the pastor in the village because the pastor in the village was the guy who was not just the, the Bible guy, but he was also, you know, kind of like the spiritual chief of the place. And he was the one that had the medicines and he had the salve and he had the antibiotic cream and he had some gauze and he helped this guy patch up his leg after hitting it with the ax. That, that was what happened with these scattered Christians in this diaspora. They went out and, and he was writing to them. They were probably living in these communities where the pastor was the guy who they thought was the most competent to administer medicinal use. Now, that's one view on this. and Some people have it, I have it. You can think about a ceremonial use, but then you have to create a whole paradigm for that that we don't have in scripture and you gotta harken back to ideas. And I'm just thinking, this is what we do see in scripture as one of the ways where we talk about oil being administered to someone. And I'm saying this, that in my understanding of this text, yes, you should seek medical attention. Now you run to go get your, your ibuprofen when you have a, a, a headache. You go to your, your, your medicine cabinet, right? All I'm saying is if you're administering this yourself to try and say, I'm gonna put some kind of something on this thing to fix me, whatever it is, right? First, I'm saying it's about prayer, right? And it's about doing whatever you're doing to medicinally fix this in the name of the Lord, what does that mean? That means that I know that just like chapter 1, verse 17 says, nothing good is going to happen to me in my health unless the Lord is involved in it. So it's not like Hezekiah, who in his illness sought the physicians, the Old Testament uh, king of Judah, he thought, sought the physician, but he did not seek the Lord, and the Lord was not happy with that. Why? Because he's against physicians? No. He's against medicine? No. It's that you better be trusting in God to utilize these means. Just like David said, I'm not trusting in the armies. I'm not trusting in the horses. I'm not trusting in the chariots. I'm not trusting in the swords. But I have all of those and they're sharpened and prepared. But I trust in the Lord because the battle belongs to the Lord. And that, that's true whether it's a military engagement or whether it's you and your oncologist, right? All of this, it depends on the Lord. So we do it with a deference to God, why? Right? Because that's the whole point of praying all the time that I always recognize God's involvement. But here, right, if it's done with an understanding, then you don't have to be a Christian to get healed from, you know, your situation, whatever it is, to recover from illness. But the point is that that you should, as a Christian, acknowledge the realities that are there, which is that God is involved in this. If anything good is going to happen, God is going to do it. It says in verse 15, here's how this works in the economy of, of God. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Okay, when you read the word, the Lord will raise them up. Or you just read the word, raise them up. Come springtime, at least, I know you're going to be thinking about resurrection. Matter of fact, many passages in scripture, same phraseology about the raising up of the Lord, the raising up of the dead. If I think about raising up, I'm thinking about a body that's really got problems, a body that is completely dead. And even if I think about prayer, there's very few resurrections in the body. Are in the Bible, uh, and only one to immortality, that's Christ. But I have a few others, Jairus' daughter, I've got Lazarus. In the Old Testament, I got, a, I got a, a, a Syrian widow who's got a son that Elijah goes and prays for, and he asks for God to, to restore the life of this kid, and, and God does it. Now, that kid's got a lot of medical problems. He's dead. That's big, right? Uh, but he prays, and God raises him up. I just think that, if nothing else, reminds us of like the fact, you're going to bring up Elijah here in a minute, that, that God has power over every cell in my body. God is a God who is sovereign over all things and a God who has power over all things. And it talks about prayer now, and it seems like in this statement of, of, of an illness, look how powerful God can be in response to prayer. He can raise that person up when someone comes sincerely, trust God, praise to God, and if God responds positively, that body is going to be raised up. It's going to recover from that illness. Then he shifts to something else that you may see as an overlap, and surely there is an overlap in Scripture. We see it in Scripture that sometimes illnesses are related to sin. In 1 Corinthians, they were talking about the problem of sin in the church regarding the Lord's Supper, and he said, because of this, some of you are weak, some are sick, and some have even died. So I know that sickness sometimes associated with sin, and so that may be part of the overlap, but it is a different category. I can have a spiritual problem relationally with God, and I can have a physical problem with my own body. Nevertheless, he says, and he connects these, they go back to back at least, but it's a different category, different subject. Bottom of verse 15, and if he has committed sins, He will be forgiven. Well, how does that work? Verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. If there's one thing James' audiences knew, it was that if you're going to be forgiven, you have to confess your sins first John 1 8 9 if you confess your sins he's faithful and righteous to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness again you see that word confess and you think about that and then it's saying listen if you think about a situation maybe where you've called the elders of the church to pray for you and you're sick and they ask you about your life and maybe there's a connection to discipline and you now confess your sins and say yes i was sinning and and this you know maybe is god's discipline the whole point here is confessing sins to one another you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, that could be independent, right? I could have a sin problem, and if it's gonna be fixed and God is gonna forgive me, well, then I need to pray. Pray what kind of prayer? A prayer of confession. God, I am sorry. God, I did wrong. God, this was not right. God, I will do right. That's the sin of a penitent person confessing sin and moving on. How does that happen? It's called prayer. Psalm 32, David is praying. He says, I confessed my sin to the Lord and he forgave the guilt of my iniquity. How did that happen? Prayer, prayer. How powerful is prayer? Prayer can take a problem, which by the way is much harder than seeing you healed physically. And he can take a problem of the stain of your sin and immediately with a prayer, remove it. I mean, think about that. If if you came in with this really nice white silk scarf and I pulled out a big, you know, blunt-ended black Sharpie, a permanent marker, and I just started writing my name and drawing pictures on it, you probably wouldn't be impressed. You'd be angry. And and you'd probably say, you've ruined this, right? Among other things you might say to me. You would say that, right? Because I've stained the garment. It's irreparably stained. That's the picture there in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, that our sins right, have made our lives like a garment that was stained as though it was crimson, it was red, and, and it was like blood was spilt on it. But, hey, come, let's reason together, right? Though your sins be like that, they'll be white as snow. They'll be white like wool. The idea here is that you need to recognize that you may say, well, I'd like to pray a prayer and have some dead person rise. I'd like to pray a prayer and have some paralyzed person walk, right? Well, I just want to talk, think about the category of praying and how powerful prayer is. When you pray to an all-powerful God, an all-holy God, and you say, God, I would like this to be fixed, one thing you're doing, I hope, every day is confessing your sins to God, and God is faithful and righteous to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The picture of the forgiveness of your sins, that picture is such a good one to remind us that prayer, right, it has a huge effect when we're praying to a God that has something big to do. Right. And that is, in our case, to forgive our sins, or even, if he chooses to, to relieve us from our illness. Number two, let's put it this way. It's the power of me talking to the right person. I put it this way. Pray to the all-powerful God. Pray to the all-powerful God. If, if I said, there's power in prayer, and, and I know books have been written, the power of prayer, right? We the, the title of this sermon, right? What is that, what I call powerful praying, if you think about prayer and you say prayer is powerful, right? And if you define prayer as communication to God, right? If you think it's about the communication itself, as some prosperity gospel people think, you're going to miss the whole point. Because the point isn't that there's something powerful in what you're doing. It's about who you're doing it with. You're, you're, you're speaking to God. I can say some things to you. I could say, here's a powerful prayer. Hey, Jim, make it rain on Thursday. That's a powerful prayer, man. But it means nothing because Jim can't do anything about the weather, right? If I said, hey, I said, Wendy, lift this car, make it fly. Okay, well, that's powerful, man. What faith you have. You have faith, man. That's powerful praying. Yeah, but Wendy can't make my car fly. So it really doesn't matter how powerful and faith-filled your words are. What matters is who you're talking to. And here is a God who can raise the dead, Here is a God who can forgive sins. Here's a God who can look at you as though you never did the things that you did. That is like remarkable. How can I change reality? God can do that. It's impossible with man, but it's possible with God. So my point is this. You're praying to someone who is powerful and that's what you need to remember. Every time you bow your head, every time you utter a a word, like when Nehemiah, right, was asked by the king, what do you want? And he prays to God and he answers the king. In that moment, He makes a statement to God, and he doesn't tell us what it is, but it's some kind of statement where he's somehow acknowledging that God is great and big and can do anything. And sure enough, the response to the king was very unexpected. It was wanted, unexpected, and he ends up funding and allowing the rebuilding of Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. That prayer, what is it? It's an acknowledgement that I have a connection with the all-powerful God. See, some people think prayer, these prosperity preachers, is like a remote control on a drone. Right? We got this thing and it's a drone, and it's got missiles on it or whatever, and I'm gonna pick it on it just to do this and push that forward and move it this way. You wanna move God? You, prayer controls God, right? Now, you're, I would hope your theology is such you say, I don't think that's a good definition of prayer, a good description of prayer. Prayer controls God, right? You're not controlling God. You understand it. This is a person. You're talking to a person. He just happens to be the CEO of the universe who made the universe, and every molecule in it reports to him but you're talking to a person. Just like your kids can come to you and ask you something. They can ask you something and they're deferring to you and they think you have resources they don't have. And that's true with us. And it's great to know that we're talking to someone who does have all authority, but you're asking a person.
0: You're listening to Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares and a message called Powerful Praying, Needful Lessons for Life's Ups and Downs. Now, if you missed the beginning, you can listen to the entire message at focalpointradio.org. Well, we hope you've benefited from Pastor Mike's Bible teaching on Focal Point, and we hope you'll agree that clear, accurate biblical teaching is exactly what's needed in today's mixed-up society. But to keep the Focal Point ministry going strong, we need your help. Please make a generous donation before the end of the year. And when you give, we'll send you the ultimate infographic guide to the Bible. This top-rated book will equip you to understand the significance of every part of the Bible and the incredible truth that God makes known to His people today. There are fascinating charts, graphics, and timelines to enrich your reading experience by highlighting the key events, themes, and applications found in each book of the Bible. With this graphic guide to the Bible in hand, You'll have ready access to background information on the Bible's reliability, translation process, and preservation, illuminating how God's strength, power, and love are revealed throughout the Bible's overarching story. To request your copy of the Ultimate Infographic Guide to the Bible, get in touch with us today at 888 320 or contact us online at focalpointradio.org. Or if you prefer, you can send your donation and request by mail. Our address is Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Well, there are few biblical characters quite as intriguing and mysterious as the wise men or magi in the Christmas narrative. But who were these men? Where did they come from? I'm Dave Droy inviting you to join us tomorrow to hear the answers to these questions and more during our weekly Q&A with Pastor Mike Fabares. That's coming up on the next edition of Ask Pastor Mike Friday on Focal Point.
1: Pastor Mike here. I pray today's message will help you live out your faith with truth and love. After all, that's the kind of biblical faith that changes lives and transforms a crooked culture. But if you haven't truly surrendered your life to Christ, then I'd like to invite you to get in touch. We'd love to pray with you and help
0: you discover God's plan of salvation. Visit focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.